Amen. At the cross. I need to drop it down a little bit, the volume. It's a little too loud. Oh, there we go. Well, it's interesting, you know, we talk about the cross, and um, it's where Jesus proved his love for us. Amen. The Bible talks about, in the Old Testament, a Messiah that was coming in the future, speaking to us about God's plan for the rescue of fallen man. And then he appears, and we spent the whole Christmas season talking about the importance of God with us, the, the idea of the incarnation, the word that spoke all of the universe into existence, became flesh and dwelt among us. And he came for one reason only, and that is to go to the cross. And at the cross, he demonstrated uh, his love for us in actions. And there is no understanding of God's love until we see the action. Amen. You, you can talk about it and write poems and songs and make it all, uh, 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 if you would, poetic. But it means nothing until you actually demonstrate it. And that's what the Lord did at the Calvary's cross. So we like to say here at Crosspoint, um, a little motto, because when I came here, the name was already given to the church, Crosspoint. And I thought, well, we could say where the cross is the point, right? That's the point. I mean, the minute we get our eyes off that, then we're, we're lost. And also cross point where we are leading people to the cross or pointing people to the cross. That's our, that's our objective. That's our mission. It's never been more. It'll never be less. As a pastor, we are pointing people to the cross because it's the, at the cross where you discover everything. And that's Jesus and his love for us and why he did what he did and what that means and implies for our lives. Amen? Everything is centered at the cross. And we don't understand that, then we haven't understood anything. And so it's simple, uh, but it's a life struggle because we have an enemy. We have the flesh, we have the world, we have Satan. We have this battle that we're in and he would have us not look at the cross. So our goal, our objective, our whole purpose is to focus on what Jesus did for us on the cross. So um, let's look at, and we're going to open our Bibles to, and you'll see on the screen uh, from Mark's Gospel. Uh, chapter 6, uh, verses 35 through 44. I'll get you uh, have you ready. It's the series that I've started last week. Being a servant of God. Notice it's being. It's in, it's, in the, it's in the now. It's not, oh, I used to be a servant. Oh, I want to be a servant. Well, that's, that's not the place for the Christian. It's on being one now. In the present. Right? And there is um, a biblical example that uh, we'll see today that will help us to discover uh, what Jesus taught his own disciples about being a servant of God. See, remember, they're learning. A disciple is a learner. So they're learning about how this all works. And, uh, we're, and we're learning how, how this all works. 
right? And uh, that's, that's a disciple. Um, when you think of disciple, it comes from the word discipline. Isn't that interesting? You can't be a disciple without discipline. And like, for instance, when I was in college, and those of you that have gone to college, they'll ask you, when, a lot of times when they ask you about your major, they'll say, hey, what's your discipline? Right? Like, what's the focus? So what was your discipline, Yolanda? Education? Maria? Social work? Anybody else? Uh, college? Your discipline there, uh, Tanya? Kinesiology and that other stuff I can't pronounce. In other words, as disciples, we have a discipline. Guess what it is? It's learning about Jesus and his kingdom. And let me add to that, in his kingdom, there are kingdom principles. We live by them. And so my job as a pastor is to teach you that as I see scripture and what we're going to look at today. I love this story. Everybody's familiar with it. But there's so much in there that it's like mind-boggling, for me at least. Hopefully for you, you walk away today with something. So we learned last week about what Peter uh, did and how the Lord used him as a channel and John to uh, minister to the man who was uh, lame, the, who, who couldn't walk. And we learned last week that we're, just, we're simply channels. We're simply a path through which the Lord can work. We're not the vehicle. The Lord is the vehicle, if you would. Or if whatever would flow down a channel, whether it be water or whatever it is, the resource is not us. The resource is the Lord. And we're the channel through which he flows. So you have to be willing to be a channel. And let me say to you from the beginning, the Lord knows that if you're willing to be a channel. Okay, and I've said this before, and I don't mean to be an offend anybody, but I'm going to say it for emphasis, right? He's not dumb to pick someone that doesn't want to be a channel. It doesn't know what it means to be a channel for him. He's not going to go, oh, I'm going to pick that person right there that's sitting like this all the time. You make me, pastor. Hey, you, who, who, who's going to make me? No, no, no one's going to make you. You don't have to serve him. You get to. Some people, when you think about the New Testament and what the gospel, the good news of Christ does, it doesn't put you in a position of legalism like the law of the Old Testament where you had to. If you didn't, you died. No, in the New Testament, you get to. You see serving God as a privilege, as an honor. And so you don't have to do this and have to do that. You want to. Why? Because he's changed your heart. That's why your heart has been transformed. You want to. So when you don't want to, as a pastor, I just leave you alone. Because I know you're not ready. I just won't bother you. I'm getting ready to cough. <coughs> so the Lord knows who has surrendered their lives to be a channel where, and remember we, we have a working definition for what it means to serve or what it means 
to be involved in ministry. And here it is. I'll repeat it to you from last week. Ministry takes place. The work of serving takes place when divine resources, so the resources are from above, meet human need. So we saw last week where Peter saw the man that was lame begging for help. In this case, he was asking for money. But Peter gave him something much greater than silver and gold. He gave him the name of Jesus and the man was healed. So divine resources meet human need. So we see the human need and we ask God to, if you would, channel or to use us as loving channels. It's got to be love involved, you guys. I could force you, or, you know, I'm saying this uh, rhetorically. I could force you, then you leave. I know of a church of a friend of mine that said, that when the bill was due for water, he would literally just say, okay, uh, Ramiro, you paying the water bill this, year, this week for the, this month for the church. And you're sitting there going, I am? Yeah, you are. Did I even give him a choice? And, and then not only that, then I was like, Tanya, guess what? The gas bill is yours this week. The Bible says, do not let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. When you do it for the Lord, you don't do it to be singled out. You don't do it to be... Uh, um, in other words, like for instance, uh, we see Paul telling the Corinthians, the love, uh, God loves a cheerful giver. Don't do it under constraint or obligation. Constraint means pressure. Don't do it under pressure. Don't do it under, oh, I feel... No, if you don't feel love in your heart to allow God to flow through you because He's already touched your life with salvation, you have His love, you understand His love, you received His gift, how could you not want to share it at any level? So I'm, I'm, I'm just warming up right now. This is just the beginning of what I want to get into. But I'm trying to get us to understand. When you say, Lord, here I am. Last week, Jesus in the Spanish group brought up a, a, a verse that just fits so perfectly because the prophet Isaiah, he had bad news to share to an evil nation. And who wants to take bad news? Nobody. But the, in, bad news meaning that if you don't turn around, that God's going to bring judgment. But also there was the hope because in Isaiah, there's a lot of prophecy regarding the Messiah. There's also the Messiah. There's also good news. So he said, here I am, Lord, send me. I'll do it. So you understand then that we choose out of love to become instruments in God's hands. And so that means then that God is able to serve others through you as you become a channel through which His resources is able to flow to those that need it and He gets all the glory or in other words, He gets all the credit. But you get to enjoy the, the whole activity that you're involved in reaching the lost for the Lord. We get to join Him there was a little movement some years back where they would say, you get to partner with God in ministry. So that's what we're doing. So how many of us remember the miracle of Christ feeding the 5,000? It's, it's one of and the only miracle that's actually recorded in all four Gospels. You'll never find one like this one where it's in every Gospel. And everyone has a little bit of a detail 
that's added into the story that maybe John's gospel doesn't say. So in my sermon, I'm going to pull from those other ones, but I'm going to use Mark as the main one. So let's do this. Uh, let's stand as we read the text. Mark 6, 35 through 44. Truly really a, a fantastic um, a place in Scripture. An amazing uh, miracle here. And here's what it says. When it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place. The hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them and he said, I, 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 You give them something to eat. And, and they uh, said to him, Shall we go and, and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then... He commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the, the people. He divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied love that verse. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Let's pray. Father, bless your time here with us today. Our time with you. This sermon, these words, your word, Lord. Bless it. Open our eyes. Help us to see things, Lord, that will give us an idea of what it means uh, to, uh, being a servant of, of of God, of, of yours, Lord. Thank you, Father, for your word. Help, help, help us to, to uh, expound on it, to, to break it apart, to understand, so that leaving here today, we can not just see these things, but know how to apply them, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So when the disciples um, run into this, this crowd... There's 5,000 people before them, and guess what? They're hungry. I mean, I have issues when it's just Sammy that's hungry. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they say he's hangry. You know, people, people are hungry. Some, some weird stuff starts happening. You ever notice that? Your stomach's growling. You haven't eaten all day. You're getting a little bit irritated. You know, and so, I mean, just think about what they got to work with there, you know. And so they didn't know what to do. Um, but they made their suggestions just the same to Jesus. I don't think it's a really good idea to give Jesus advice. I'll start off by saying that about how to do things. Um, because what they advised, if you notice there in verse 35 and 36, they advised Jesus to avoid the problem by sending the crowd away. So we got this problem we're facing. There's 5,000 hungry men. Oh, by the way, because of um, the Jewish culture, 
uh, it was usually uh, a, a number or a population was usually determined by the number of men. Notice it didn't mention women or children. That's just the culture then. So how many, let's say 5,000 men, let's say half of them had wives. How many do we have now? Well, 2,500 on top of the 5,000, that's 7,500. And then Jewish families, well, the children are a blessing. So let's say they all have at least two kids. So there's another 5,000. So now we're at what? I just lost count. There were over 10,000 people there. Some commentary suggests it could have been as much as 20,000. No big deal to double what was there or m multiply it by four maybe. But again, that's the point I'm trying to make. There's a lot of people. 5,000 men, more than that. So there they are. They're hungry. And the disciples, it says they, it, it was growing late. Jesus had been teaching his disciples and the people there that came to hear him. And they say, hey, man, we're out in the middle of nowhere. And uh, it's getting late. Sun's going down. And uh, hey, let's send them away uh, to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. See if they can find some, something to eat on their own. And so their advice to Jesus, and a lot of times as disciples, when we run into a, a problem, the first thing we probably are inclined to do as humans is just get rid of the problem. Send them away. No. The Jesus' answer to that is no. Why? Because the question is, where's their compassion? The Lord knew that these people were hungry and they could never make the journey without getting weaker and potentially finding themselves in danger and still not having resolved the issue that they were hungry. So what the Lord does is he rejects their plan. Thank God he, some, he rejects our advice sometimes, right? We don't know it all. And we're going to get into some stuff here that I think is worth to consider. But he rejects the plan. And in ministry, in serving others, the, uh, the temptation exists just to get rid of the very people God wants us to help. Which is like shooting yourself in the foot as far as ministry is concerned. The disciples are known to have done that more on one occasion. The woman, the Canaanite woman who came with her daughter who was possessed of the demon, the disciples, because she was loud, the disciples said, hey Lord, send her away, get rid of her. She's annoying. So it's not the first time that the disciples thought, hey, the best way to solve the problem is to avoid it. Guess what, church? No, the best way to solve a problem is not to avoid it. The best way to solve a problem is to deal with it. Is to confront it. Not to run away, not to hide it. Not to sweep it under the carpet and, it, and pretend it doesn't exist. Okay, so in the kitchen, you know, we always got that one carpet in front of the sink because it's comfortable. We're there a lot washing our dishes, right? Yeah, I wash my dishes. What are you guys looking at me so funny? I wash my dishes. But thank God for dishwashers, too. So anyway, there's like this carpet, right, that I'm standing on. And, 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 you know, you're cooking over here and over there in the stove and crumbs and stuff falls on the floor. And then you look at it and you're like, oh, gosh. You get the broom and you sweep it all up, throw it under the carpet, and the kitchen looks wonderful. 
What's the problem with that? You know it's under the carpet. Right? You can't sweep it under the carpet. Right? I mean, is that just me that does it or do anyone here? Now, there's also some of those cabinets that go out a little bit. So there's like room before, so you can sweep it under there too. The stove, who will ever know? Just sweep it underneath the stove. We can't avoid the problem. We don't like problems, but guess what? We live in a problem-laden world. There's going to be problems. So instead of running away from them, instead of avoiding them, instead of sweeping them under the carpet, we deal with them. And that's what Jesus does because he's compassionate. So Jesus answered them and he says something to them when they suggest sending them away. He says, you give them something to eat. Huh? Who are you talking to? He's talking to you. You see a human need. You see the crowd is hungry. They come up with their suggestion. Jesus rejects it. And then he turns around and he goes, you do it. You give them something to eat. What do you mean? Church, that's what we're here for. We're here to serve. He says, you do it. What do you mean? Can't the church down the road do it? Well, they've got their own issues to deal with. We have ours. We're to deal with them. And that's what he says. I find it interesting that the Lord tells his disciples, you give them something to eat. Because both the disciples and Jesus knew exactly that same thing. There is a multitude of people that have a need. The solution that the disciples came up with to get rid of them isn't going to work. And then Jesus saw a different solution altogether. And he wanted his disciples to see it too. So he says to them, rather, so he tells them what to do. And the first thing that they do is say, hey, uh, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread to give it to them to eat? So the first thing that they do is they think about solving the issue with money. But the problem is 200 denarii represents a year's salary. Now, I don't know if they're saying, hey, that's a lot of money for one meal. Or are they saying, we don't have enough. Even if we were to go and buy food, you know, make a run for the border, bang, Taco Bell, right? Maybe we'll find one in, in the next village or you know, Mickey D's, whatever. I'm trying to make it a little, send them away. No, and we don't even have enough money even if we were to, to, to go buy food for them. So let me say this about ministry and church budgets. <laughs> I know a little bit about it because I, I serve at a small church, right? And thank God he's always been faithful and we've always been able to meet our needs. But a bigger budget isn't the answer. Having more money isn't the answer. And most people think that having more money to spend is a solution to every problem in life and especially in ministry. Having a lot of money is not the answer. Let me say that one more time. In, in life and in ministry, having a lot of money isn't the answer. It's a band-aid. Because a lot of the needs... We need to learn to tackle them in a godly way. So let me say this. The natural inclination that we would have as humans 
is to get out our calculators, pull up our spreadsheet, and look at our bank account, and try and figure out how to make things work. And sometimes that may be a temporary solution, but it's not always the best solution or the best thing that we can do. Just because we have the money doesn't mean we are actually ministering because we can throw money at problems. I work in public high school. There's more money coming at us because of COVID and all the bills that were passed than we know what to do with. That I remember asking for a big screen for 10 years and I was laughed at. I, wanted, I don't want a chalkboard. I wanted a smart screen. Those are a couple thousand dollars, if not more. And they just, I saw the tech guy, and for years, every day I saw him, I go, hey, Jason, where's my big screen TV? And you'd go, you're funny. Guess what? I show up the year after COVID, and there's two of them in my room. And then I had to learn how to use it. It's great. But every, one of the things that we complain about or one of the things that we see happening is you can't solve problems always with just throwing money at the issue because the problems are internal. They have to do with character. They have to do with learning. They have to do with growing. They have to do with maturing. They have to do with all those different things and money can't do that. So let me just say this. Don't think that just because you have money you're able to actually solve your problem. They, they, they're trying to figure it out in the sense of, hey, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and then give it to them to eat? Right? God has resources that we know nothing about. You got an issue and you don't know how to solve it. You have something you're confronting that you're dealing with for your life, for your future, for, well, sometimes for the very next hour, much less the next day. Things can be reduced down sometimes to the very next minute. Just remember the football game that happened on Monday where the guy in a set is laying almost dead on the football field. Seconds matter. The solution, I thank God there was someone there to start applying CPR to DeMar, I think his name is. Sometimes life, the solution of the, of the problem requires a solution right now. So God has resources that we know nothing about. So what we need to learn to do as a church as families, as individuals, is to trust Him and to be at peace even when we can't figure it out. I got stuff in my life right now I can't figure out. And it's weighing on me. And I'm thinking to myself, what am I going to do? And guess what? I just need to trust Him and be at peace that He will provide. So when you come into serving and being a servant of God, the first lesson is quit trying to figure it out. Quit trying to pull out your wallet. Quit trying to throw down your credit card and say, i got to fix it. No. That's not how the Lord wants to do it. He says to them in verse 38, how many loaves do you have? So what do you have? That's a way to solve and resolve issues. What do you have now in your possession? What's yours now? And, and, and how many loaves do you have? And, well, I don't know. Go and see. <coughs> Excuse me. 
Sometimes we need to do an inventory, an assessment, an evaluation of what we have. Because what we have is what God has given us. Each of us. We have something God has given us. Gifts, talents. Yeah, sometimes resources. Yeah, I'm not dismissing it. I'm just saying it's not the go-to and fix-all solution. What do you have? Have you looked at your life and asked, what do I have? What has God given me? He wants to use that. Well, I don't have anything. He wants to use nothing that you have then. We say, what? That doesn't make no sense. He can use nothing that you have. <laughs> you guys are looking at me funny, huh? He can use nothing because out of nothing. Hey, thank you. Appreciate that. That's nice. Wow. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that so much. So what does he tell them to do? How many loaves you have, go and see. God's way of provision, God's way of supplying our needs always begins with what I already have, not what I might have or what I don't have. He wants us to use what we have, already have. And he wants us to use it wisely. So don't foolishly pray for more from God if you don't use what you already have. Oh, I want more. Well, you're not even using what I've given you. I want more. No. Use what I've given you first. And if you come to a place where the rubber meets the road and you need more, I'll provide it. So this is the, this is the, this is the, the lesson today that we are to understand that God always begins with what we have. So do a real good inventory and check it out. And then when they found uh, uh, what, what they had, because they went looking, Matthew's gospel says that he, Andrew found a small boy with it, that had a small lunch, five bar, uh, uh, barley loaves and two fish, right? So they came back, verse 38, and they said, we found out what we have. Five and five loaves of bread and two fish for 10,000 people, 15,000 people. And we think to ourselves, big deal. Houston, we have a problem. We don't have enough loaves of bread and we don't have enough fish. How much did they find? Five and, uh, loaves and, and two fish. This is totally inadequate to meet the need. Well, why would he have us go out and look and see what we have? Because God knows that what he's getting ready to do, it needs to be understand that we're always bankrupt before him. We never have enough to actually complete his work. Because we need to be what? Not manufacturers, but distributors of his divine resources. He's going to meet the need. But he's looking for channels of love through which to flow. Isn't that good? God could use you with, with what you, whatever it is you have. Nobody can complain. I can't complain as pastor. Even though I'd like to tear down this building and put a new one here. Oh, how am I going to do it? I don't know, but God knows my head. In my heart, I'd like to do more. 
I have to wait when he's ready. That's what we're trying to find teachers. How can I have a big crowd when we don't even have teachers? Right? Used to pray about having a worship band. That came, that happened. So I had to wait 16 years. It was worth it. Yeah, because then I know it was God that did it. I don't have to bully Jesus around. I never even asked him to come. He came. God sent him. I really believe it. Not worried about anything. Really. Now I want someone to play the piano, so be praying about it. Can you imagine that? What are we talking about here? God meets the need. And although they said, we only have five loaves and two fish, right? It, 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 it's interesting here that that's not enough according to them. But the Lord didn't ask them for their recommendation. He just said, go tell me what you have. Well, we only got five and two. Now, I'm going to go into an area that probably some people are not familiar with, but I am. My pastor taught us biblical numerology. Now, you can take it out too far. I'll say that. But there are, like, for instance, let me grab my notes. And I've learned this stuff when I was a Bible student back in the day. You know that number one represents unity? One, unity. The number six, like in the book of Revelation, six, six, six. It's the number of man, man's number or Satan's number in man. Eight new beginnings, right? Um, for instance, uh, three is completion like the Trinity. It's like representative of completion. Uh, perfection, if you would. So here we have the number five and the number two. Five loads, two fishes. So I don't want to take this real crazily, but just an observation when we use 40, of course, was wilderness testing trials, right? 40 days and, uh, 40, days and 40 nights for the, for the flood. The, the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Testing trials. It, it, the Bible has consistent... Um, symbolism, if you would. So just, just to make the sermon a little more interesting and make you think a little more, five is the number of grace in the Bible. When they came out of Egypt, he told them to go out in groups of five. So when, if you were to have back then a, um, you know, the capacity that we have now uh, to use little cameras that can fly in drones, if you were to look at Israel coming out of Egypt in groups of five from above, what you saw was nothing but grace. God liberating his people from slavery is an act of grace. So here there's five loaves and two fish, fishes. So two is a number that was required to be an adequate witness in court. So two is representative of what you would say, witness. You could not go to court against someone without a witness. So two have to witness. 
two witnesses showed up when Jesus was transfigured on the Mount of uh, Transfiguration. There'll be two witnesses in the book of Revelation giving witness to Israel in the last days about God's deliverance. Two is the number of witnesses. So what they're getting ready to witness is God's grace. He saw what they had, five and two. We are only witnesses of God's grace. That's all we can do in this walk, in this journey. And enjoy it. Lord, how'd you do that? I just want you to see how powerful I am. I just want you to see how merciful I am. I just want you to see how loving I am. You don't get to do anything. It's all been done for you at the cross. Just live in His grace. It'll change your heart. And you'll see who I am. So I'm, that's my, I'm done. They were going to witness God's grace. I'm done with that part. So in John's gospel, after they saw that there were five loaves and two fishes, Andrew asked in John 6, 9, because remember I told you that this is recorded in all four gospels. He says, what are, what are they among so many? What are, Five loaves and two fishes, this is nothing. <laughs> yeah, it's nothing. Because we are nothing. But he's everything. I taught a sermon series some years back here. God plus nothing equals everything. God plus nothing equals everything. So, here the disciples need to resist the temptation to become manufacturers. They thought and may have thought, according to John's gospel, when Andrew asked, what are these among so many, that it was their responsibility to come up with the money. That's why he started trying to figure out, and hey, got the 200 denarii, if we divide it by 500, if we divide it by 5,000. Oh, wow, everybody gets like half a penny, you know. So that's not what God's asking us to do. He's not asking us to come up with the money. He's not asking us to somehow figure it out in our church budget. He's not asking us to some clever way to solve the problem. Because John's gospel also says in chapter 6, 6, that he, that is Jesus himself, knew what he would do. He knew what he would do. But what he was doing by having them go look and check out their inventory, if you will, and by having them go and doing these calculations, is teaching them that they were bankrupt when it came to serving him. They couldn't do it. And we can't do the work of serving God. We only can be distributors of what he's given us. And that's when we learn then that God can do whatever he wants through us. And it will amaze us. So we have to get out of the way. But we have to be willing to allow him to make us instruments for his glory. So, what does he do? He commands them all to sit down, verse 39, in groups on the green grass. Um, so they sat down by groups by hundreds and fifties. There we go with numbers again. Well, 5 multiplied by 10. So grace multiplied. But 10 is the number of human responsibility. We have to be responsible to allow God's grace 
to function in our lives. We have to take, make that decision. We have a human responsibility to understand God's grace and allow it to flow us. So I'll use it in that sense. Now, they sit down in green grass. It reminds me of the Psalm 23. The good shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Isn't the Lord good? He will always take us to green pastures. He'll always... What's green pastures to sheep? Life. Sustenance. That's all sheep do. You ever watch them? And then, also I like the fact that he commanded them all to sit down in groups in the green grass and they told them to do so by hundreds and fifties. I'd like to add at this point that God likes organization. Especially when it comes to managing what he provides us. God doesn't want chaos. God wants order. He's not the author of confusion, the, the Bible tells us. We need order. We need to understand how things work. So after taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing. He broke the, the loaves. <coughs> right? Ready to have a feast. He gave them, now listen carefully, Verse 41 is important. He gave them to the disciples to set before the people, and he divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. What? Do you, what? He did what with it? With the, with the five loaves and the two fishes? He, it says there that he blessed it first, having looked into heaven, said a blessing, he, in his hands, broke the loaves, and then he gave it to the disciples. Who's the one producing the miracle in this scenario? Jesus is, after having prayed. And what does he do? He just gives it to the disciples, and he keeps giving, and he keeps giving, and he keeps giving, and it never ends. Because it's coming from his hands. And he's simply giving it to us. Me... Or I come to understand that all I can do is be a channel or a distributor of what God has given me. I can't give what I don't have. But I can trust Him to multiply in His hands what He's given me and to see Him work this miracle. So we have to learn that the multiplication took place in his hands, the distribution was the work of the disciples' hands. Right? And the whole multitude ate, verse 42, and were satisfied. So once we accept that, then we get to experience a freedom that allows for service and ministry that you would never stop marveling at what God is able to do through you. You won't be frustrated because you know that the results are not in your hands. You won't feel bitter when you see someone else able to do something because you know that's between them and the Lord. You have your own responsibility between the Lord. You're not afraid of serving and you're not afraid of the challenges of serving because you know that it is God that has the resources to meet every one of them. What a freedom that is. A church could really grow if they just got into that particular mindset. And all of the glory 
belongs to Christ. Let me say this. I found this couple things in my studying. Someone wrote, if you can explain what's going on, God didn't do it. Isn't that true? How do you explain a miracle? You don't. You don't explain it. You just receive it, and then you share it, and let God have all the glory. I've had miracles in my life. And all I can do is, I mean, like, wow. How'd that happen? See, there's things that can happen in the natural. And you can force them, and you can make them manipulate, and whatever you want to do to make them supposedly, potentially go in your favor. They don't always do, do they? Or you could just sit back in God's grace and say, wow, look what you did. And he receives all of the glory. I saw this story. I read it. It's a poor woman who had never been to the ocean and when she got her first view of the ocean, someone took her. She lived inland. It was really funny because I got students in my classes at Moreno Valley High School that have never been to the ocean. And it's just like 60 miles away or even closer, like Newport, 45. I mean, they've never been to the ocean. So this woman, this older woman, had never been to the ocean. And when she finally got to see it, she stood on the shore and she was weeping. And they're like, oh, are you weeping for joy or are you weeping for what? What's, why, are you, why are you weeping? When she was asked uh, as to why she was weeping, she replied, and this is such an appropriate uh, closing to this sermon, it's so good to see something that there's plenty of. I mean, you ever stand there and look at the Pacific and you go, wow, that's huge, that's gigantic, that's the Lord. For once in your life, divine resources, we can come to the place to realize, just as Jesus multiplied the loaves and the fish, that there's so much of his resources. There's plenty of it. There's never going to be a lack of or a need of anything when we serve God. So, in ministry, we are God's channels, and we are God's hands, but we're not... We're not the resources. He is. So, I think we can close this by saying we come to understand that we're really poor. But when we trust Him and we rest in His grace, we become the richest. And we can give the most because we've received the most of what he's given us. We're just simply giving back what he's given us. So they took the 12 baskets full of broken pieces of the fish, broken pieces of the bread and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men and of course everyone else. And here's one last question. Why 12 baskets? We know that the Jews would reject their Messiah wouldn't they? The, the 12 tribes one day will be restored at his second coming. My understanding, and I learned this from my pastor and I never forgot it, 
He said on that morning when I heard this message, a different direction he went in. But I was studying last night, I remember that God still has plans for Israel. And there's 12 baskets full of food whenever they're ready. And there will be, according to Zechariah, one day uh, and during the tribulation, they will look up and they will see the one whom they had pierced. And the nation will be restored and have a great revival. We will be gone by then. But that's what that tells me. God always has a reserve for his people. He always has something in the bank. We may be bankrupt, but he isn't. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you once again. Help us to understand, Lord, that we're simply vessels, simply instruments, channels, hands in which you can use to multiply your resources to meet the needs of those around us. And boy, in the time that we're living, there's never been a greater need for people to come to Christ. Help us to be that church, that place, where people can come and meet you and know you and come to receive you, Lord, and the gift that you offer in your Son, Christ. Help us to be the, the channels, loving channels, Lord, in these last days. As we organize, as we plan, we pray, Lord God, that they would fit into your plans, as we know they do because we have your word. So thank you, Lord. Bless each and every one that's sitting here today and heard this sermon. Help them, Lord, to be, uh, uh, under, uh, have understanding and also help them, Lord, to rest. Help them, Lord, to trust that you would use them so that they can reach others as you flow through them with your Holy Spirit, Lord, and the gifts and the abilities uh, that they have. Bless every, all our endeavors, Lord, as we commit them to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, that is uh, our sermon for today. We're going to have the um, worship team come as we collect the offering at the moment. All right, you guys, so let's just um, say a word of prayer for the offering. Father, thank you again. Um, we pray, Lord, that you make every provision through our giving. And as we give, we trust, Lord, you, Lord, to meet our needs. And also, Father, with what's given, meet the needs of this ministry. As we desire, Lord, to continue to share the gospel, to continue to preach your word, to minister here to the needs of the community. Use us, bless us, we pray, Lord, all for your honor and glory. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.